We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Getting ready for the final shot of the third quarter. It's Kemba. Fire it You're listening to BuzzBeat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show. Now broadcasting with your host, Richie and Spencer. Welcome back, BuzzBeat listeners, Queen City Hoops readers, and Hornets fans. This is our 24th show of BuzzBeat Radio, and we are broadcasting on the Dash radio app for the third time for our new audience on dash radio buzzbeat is a charlotte hornets show where you will get in-depth analysis about everything surrounding the charlotte hornets you'll find that we have plenty of versatility when it comes to talking hornets basketball and the nba if you're an nba fan and especially if you're a hornets fan stick with us because i know that you will like what we have to offer the almighty baller radio network the home of buzzbeat radio is extremely excited about our new partnership with dash radio for those who have been consistent listeners for a while now thank you and please tell all of your friends we're currently gearing up and you've heard me say this a lot before our nba draft coverage and we'll get more and more in depth as the june 22nd draft approaches please go check out our draft page on queencityhoops.com self-promo o'clock real quick if you don't mind the Coach Percy Draft Profiles page. Go check it out. We've already got four prospects up there that I that I've broken down and covered. So yes, I used to be a coach, and I get a little bit. I have a little bit of junkie in me when it comes to evaluating draft prospects. So again, so far we published profiles for Jared Allen, Zach Collins, Frank Richie. Give me that last name. Nila Kina. Nita Lakina and Dennis Smith Jr., who a lot of people recognize from his days at NC State. So we've got another great show ahead, and we will be joined by Dime Magazine contributor Oliver Maroney. But first, let's check in on co- on the co-host of BuzzBeat, Richie Handles Randall. Richie, what's happening, man? What's going on, man? Yeah, I'm doing well. Doing well. Actually been pretty busy uh, this past week, you know, gearing up for end of grade testing. Uh, Oliver, I'm, I'm a teacher, so at, at this point in the year, it's been all, you know, test prep, and, and these kids are just wearing on me, so... Uh, I've been pretty busy the past couple of you know weeks, and actually I've not been able to watch a lot of second round playoff basketball, so I've been slacking on that end. So, and Spencer, I know you're busy too because you're in the process of moving, correct? 
Yeah, that's um, actually starts tomorrow morning. Got the moving trucks. We here at eight a.m. So as soon as this is over, I got a lot of work to do. So yeah, exciting times though. Moving to Richmond, looking forward to it. A little closer to work, so I don't have to commute an hour every day. But um, all right, guys, well let's jump in here. I, I want to go ahead and introduce our guest. Um, a lot of you should recognize the name Oliver Maroney. Oliver, first of all, thanks for coming on, man. How are you? And tell people where they can find you on Twitter and talk a little bit about Dime Magazine, what you're doing there. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm doing, doing very well. Just, uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at, at O Maroney NBA. So O M is in Mary, A R O N E Y N B A. And, uh, you can find all my stuff there. Um, and what we do at dime is really just trying, most of my stuff is feature based. So we do, uh, like player features and typically these are just like relationships that I've either have personally or, uh, you know, through a team PR or whatever. And, get interviews and exclusive content for dime magazine. So that's typically what I do. Dime overall does a ton of work, uh, around the NBA and we try to stay tuned on just about everything. And it's one of the bigger, you know, uh, publishing sites, I guess you could say out there, uh, for people who don't know about it already. Awesome, man. Well, we're going to jump into uh, a lot of your stuff that you've written. Um, the first thing we're going to cover is your article, which was really fun one on pickup <laughs> basketball. Um, I know you, uh, you reached out to a lot of different uh, GMs and people across the league, uh, you know, current players, ex-players. Um, so that's fun. We're going to jump into that. And then later we're going to talk about your Briante Weber piece, which was really cool. And I'm looking forward to talking about that because I actually spent some time coaching Briante um, during his prep school year, uh, you know, right in between high school and college. So, so again, let's start with the, uh, the rules or the pickup basketball rules, <laughs> uh, which is again, a super fun article to read. Uh, I've made some notes here about some of the things I agreed with some of the things I didn't, but from, from your perspective, when everything was kind of coming in, all this feedback that you got, uh, which unofficial rule from the list uh, do you find the most important to, to uphold? And then before you answer that, are you, a, are you an avid pickup hoops guy? Yeah, yeah, I do play a lot of pickup hoops. That's actually the reason I even started the article ideas. Uh, I went, oh gosh, I forget. Uh, I went to 24-Hour Fitness, the gym that I uh, subscribed to, and um was playing ball there and and somebody walked in with just like a brand new box of shoes and he walked in, you know, he has his flip flops or whatever you want to call them on. And he pulls out this brand new box, laces him up. He's got the shooting sleeve. I'm like, man, this guy's <laughs> got to be good. Like this is, this is legit. Like he's, he's gotta be, you know, pro or something like that. So I'm, I'm keeping my eye on him and, uh, sure enough, he gets picked up by a team and, you know, you've got to automatically think that he's good because he's got all this brand new gear and coming in with all the sponsored stuff. And yeah, first two shots, air balls. And <laughs> that is what started the story. I mean, like, honestly, I was just like, seriously, like you're going to wear all this. And then it's like calling yourself out when you don't need to be. So I, uh, yeah. So I pulled people on Twitter. Actually, I just said, Hey, if I wrote an official pickup basketball, article would people read it and i got like i don't know like almost 100 likes and a bunch of people responding and shay serrano of the ringer kind of pulled me out and messaged me and said don't try and copy what my i'm doing but shoot your shot or whatever and i'm like all right man well i'll do what i can so long story long story short i just started pulling players i mean i was going to do my own list and then once i started talking to people and like players started responding to me i was like you know what i could probably just get enough just from this so Asked Mark Cuban and, you know, uh, Briante's in there, I think. Um, uh, who else is in there? Gosh, Terry Porter, a bunch of different guys. Brandon Armstrong, good friend of mine, uh, the NBA impersonator. 
I think the most important one really uh, was touched on by Briante and uh, Dan Dickow, which was the no foul on game point. Mm-hmm. I think that's just like, I think it's so bad. Like I, if you're calling foul on game point, it just, it just looks bad. I don't care if it is a foul or isn't like it's pick up basketball. I think unless you get really nailed, there's really no point to, to be calling foul on game point. Yeah. So I play a lot of pickup hoops as well. And I was a little conflicted about that one. Cause I, I I understand the concept of like, um, you, you know, don't don't call the Nicky Knack stuff on game point. But at the same time, the fouls are a little harder during game point. Like if you're going to foul or you're going to contest a shot, like it's more aggressively, especially in game. Sure. Point. So, you know, that one like goes both ways. But I but I definitely from the perspective of like, yeah, don't call a hand check on game point. Like if I go into my shot and you touch me on the wrist and. I think that affects me. Like, don't call that garbage game point. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I, I can see that. What the one that I picked out that, that I thought was really important was a no cherry picking. But I mean, that one's a, an all timer, right? Like, oh, get yeah. back on defense. Like, we're out here to be competitive, so get back on both ends, play on both ends. So I thought that was really the, the most no brainer uh, rule that I saw in there. Mine was kind of goes along with Oliver's defense calls fouls unless it's unless it's game point. I've played sometimes where the offense calls, the defense calls. I feel like if if anyone knows who fouls, it, it's on the defense. You know, they, they they know best out of anyone if they committed a foul. And I think that most people are honest in that situation. If you're on defense, you almost feel guilty when you do foul. And sometimes even the offensive player will kind of deny the foul and just say, hey, hey, play on. And I think that's the best way to go. Have defense call the foul unless it's game point. And another one that I liked as well is don't call foul after you know the ball isn't going in. You have those, you have those players <laughs> yeah. do that all the time, all the time. It's like you know when the foul is. Don't call it and, and, and you know try to make up for the fact that you missed a shot. And I, I hate that. You yeah. can't stand that. Yeah, and the other one I had written down for I think it's important to uphold is that the and one. And look, I'm guilty of this, right? So you go in, you're feeling good about where you're on the court. You got your man beat. Here comes the health defender. You know, you're confident that you're going to finish the play more or less. You get bumped, you yell and one, uh, and then it doesn't go in, right? Like that's, and then to get in this, it's just an awkward Oliver. And I, I want to hear your opinion. It's just like an awkward stop in the game. Like feels like half the court thinks, okay, that's a foul. And the other half's like, no, hell no, that's not a foul. Like we're going the other way. You can you either call foul or you don't. And one's not a foul. Yeah. And I'm guilty of it too, but I would definitely say that it, if you're going to call foul, you call foul. If you're going to call and one, that's basically like, Hey, I got the bucket and I got fouled. You know what I mean? Like it's totally different. I think the, and one is basically it's, it's no, I mean, you shouldn't even say it unless, like I said, if you want to rub it in somebody's face. <laughs> yeah. And right. no one shoots foul shot and pick up basketball anyway. Right. No. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Good. actually, you know, what's interesting, J- T- Jason Thompson uh, mentioned that in his pickup basketball days, it was you make game point, And then that person who made makes game point has to make a free throw in order yeah. to solidify the victory. I thought that was I thought that was really interesting. I'd never heard that, but I do like it because it because it does add that element of. Of, of a real game feeling to it you know you step up lots and, of pressure well, yeah exactly what more game pressure to make a make a free throw number one when the game's on the line and number two when you're winded and tired so i thought that was a cool rule all right so in terms of rules that you heard from the feedback that you thought just weren't necessary what, what are one some some of the ones you noted oliver uh, weren't necessary. I I've actually, the reason I compiled the list, cause I thought they were all pretty valid. I mean, the one that, the one that I struggle with a lot is like the, uh, I think it's Chris Broussard who says respect a man's call or whatever. 
I, the thing with that is you have to be playing with like friends or trustworthy people that you really know, because if you're just playing pickup basketball with random people, <laughs> the fouls, just not, nothing's called correctly. Like there's always the two guys who are just calling everything. There's always the people who are just playing on and you kind of respect them a little bit more. I just don't know if you, I, I get frustrated specifically when guys call fouls every time they go down the court and you just know they're going to call it. Like it doesn't even make a difference. And so for me, the respect to man's call kind of thing, it depends on the situation. Obviously if defense is calling fouls and they're being honest with themselves, great. Awesome. Good on them. But there is, like I said, anomalies to that quite frequently. And so I don't know if it's necessarily a good thing to go by that. (laughs) I agree with you. I think that one goes both ways. Uh, The one that I noted was the always play by ones and Kyle Wilcher mentioned that I, I, I don't like that. I don't, I don't like that at all because I, I just think that like, and just like in pickup basketball, just like in the NBA or college or any level, like you have to adjust to your, uh, to your opponent's strengths and his weaknesses. Right. So if you're only playing by ones that, that kind of eliminates that element. So I, I, I didn't like that so much. I like that you play, you, you make a three, it's a three, you, you make a two, it's a two play 16, 21 play to whatever you want. But this thing, everything's a one. I, I just, that didn't make much sense to me, especially in the age that basketball is now. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I'm, I like Kyle a lot. And I th- I actually think for his purposes, probably a good thing that he was playing by ones. Cause he's just like, he loves jacking up threes. He'll, he'll say that all day long too. If you talk to him, but like, he loves the three point line. So like eliminating that factor of your game and trying to actually, you know, be aggressive. Uh, and also, it keeps the game close longer. That is one thing that he pointed out to me too, is like those games almost never end. If you have to win by two and you're playing by ones, like mm-hmm. that's, True. that's almost impossible. So if you want to play like hard nose competitive basketball, where somebody can't just sit on the wing all the day and jack up threes and not be good at the rest of the game. Great. But I, I did see a point in that too, where it could go both ways as well. I mean, here's my thing. My game in pickup basketball is distributing the ball, but when it comes to me scoring, it's always from behind the arc. So to be honest, if we just played by ones, I probably would still feel more comfortable shooting the three. So I don't know if I would play any more physical in that aspect. I have played before where it's ones, ones and twos. I've played it where it's twos and threes. But if it was stri- strictly ones, I don't know if my game would change all that much because I feel like I'm more confident shooting a three ball than I am you know, driving inside because I'm a little bit smaller. So yeah, I, I don't know if I like that rule per se, but I don't think my game would change all that much. But the one rule that I noted, you guys just touched upon earlier about Jason Thompson's rule. I have never played, you know, the game point is on a free throw. I, I don't I mean, it seems gimmicky to me. Like what would happen if they miss? Like what happens? Do you get the ball back? Do you, do you play it off the miss? Yeah. Well, he mentioned yeah. like horse, right? He, he like he said it was like horse, so maybe I don't know, Oliver. Did he mention like if you miss it, you go back to like a certain total point total or something? Yeah. So basically, he just said you go back to when before the game point was scored. So essentially, you're back on game point. It's not that you're losing points or like you're not you're not like losing outright. You're just basically going back to game point again because you missed the free throw. So I thought that was pretty unique. And I actually like that rule a lot specifically for NBA players because everybody needs to be good at shooting free throws. So like, (laughs) you know, that's, that's part of the game and especially under pressure, you know, you're going to have the, whatever team you're facing, whoever's not on game point kind of uh, rooting against you. So I I would assume that that would be a fun way to play. I've never played that way, but uh, yeah, I definitely needed clarification from him because I was so confused. I was like, wait a second. So 
you shoot free throw. And then what happens after that? Right. And you miss it, you know? So, uh, it didn't sound like there was too many misses in his games period. So I'm assuming he was playing with like pretty high caliber players anyways, but I do like the added bonus there. I think that's cool. All right, Oliver. So after you did this piece and got all this feedback and got a different perspective from around the, you know, the high, the best players in the world here, is there anything that you would add now to your pickup games from some of the ideas you got from these guys? Well, I got some added ones like from certain people afterwards, like, man, uh, there's a ton of them that I got. People were just calling me out for all sorts of different things. Oh, you need to do, you know, uh, I had one that was, what was it? It was something along the lines. Oh yeah. 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 So it was basically not defense calls fouls, no calling charge, which is a weird one, but I (laughs) guess people do that. Like, I can't believe that that's something that's something that people call, but I thought that was an interesting one. Um, and yeah, this guy on Twitter said, don't take charges, especially when playing outside on concrete. I'm like, okay, well, duh. I, I think the defense calls fouled one really wasn't touched on enough. And then the other one that I thought was interesting that I'm, I'm torn by, I really don't know where it could go, but goaltending in the NBA, if you're doing it in a pickup basketball game, is it goaltending? Is it not goaltending? That's one that I was curious about too. I guess if you're playing with like really athletic players, yeah. I'd assume you'd want the goaltending. So, or n- not want it. Sorry. I think you'd, I think you'd want to be able to block it off the backboard if possible and, and do that sort of thing. But I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. The goaltending one. I, I I consider myself to play in some pretty competitive, uh, uh, you know, pretty competitive pickup basketball. But I don't play with athletes that can right. go up and get it out of the cylinder. <laughs> yeah. uh, Richie, anything that you that you had any rules that you would add here? Yeah, I would. I don't know how you enforce this per se, but a no hack a player when the opposing team is on game point. I feel like this is cheap. Like I feel like too many players do this when they're they're losing and the opposing team is on game point. You know, whether it's a fast break or an easy basket, they'll just wrap you up. They'll just like tackle you. And I, I, like I said, I, it, the fouls have to come naturally, but I'm not sure how you can enforce that one. I just feel like it happens way too often because they don't want to give up that easy point. So you just you check it back up and you keep playing. But I, I, after a while, it gets repetitive and old. It's just it's just cheap, in my opinion. Yeah, so I, I like that one. That's a good one. The one thing that and I don't know what the fix is, but the one thing that gets on my nerves is when when the 10 guys in the court are trying to figure out what the score is, especially in, you know, in a, in a late game situation or, you know, when you're almost towards the end of the game and there's a defensive rebound and the other team has a semi fast break opportunity. And then as the rebounds coming up, somebody's yelling score, what's count or something like this. And all of a sudden uh, it, it's yep. that like awkward, do we keep playing or do it? That really gets on my nerves. It doesn't happen a ton, but it does, ha- it does happen from time to time. So I feel like my rule would be each dead ball situation. We have to confirm the score before we check it back in, you know, that way we can keep the game moving. Uh, because if there's a defensive rebound, the ball is live. We can't stop the game and figure out what the score is. So I, I've run into that situation some, and, and that's a little annoying. Yeah, the rule should be no calling what's the score while there's live play. Yeah, it's got to come at dead yeah. balls. That's crazy. Right. Yeah, right. That, that's always annoying. And then they let the ball go, or they, you know, they shoot the ball anyways. And it, 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 there's some interesting things there, you know, that you'll see afterwards. Like, oh no, I never said anything, and they'll shoot the ball after they said it or whatever, make a shot and say, oh no, I, that counts. You know, uh, I, I've seen that happen before too. So it's an awkward kind of situation because like you said about half the room half the room is saying yeah it is half the room is saying no it's this game point or whatever run it back whatever um the other one too is uh calling travels 
annoys the heck out of me unless mm-hmm. it's absolutely blatant. Like if somebody really truly double dribbles, they should be calling that themselves. Like the defense shouldn't have to call that, but calling travels, like if it's an extra step or half step or whatever you want to call it as they're driving into the lane. Like, I just think that's ticky tacky in the scheme of things. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I actually had a, a guy and he called it the Duke travel. <clears throat> he called it twice during the game. It was this week. It was on Wednesday, I think. So I caught the ball in transition. And to me, I caught the ball, caught it with you know, my right foot on the floor, stepped with my left onto my shooting foot and then went up. And he was like, no, nah, it's a travel. I was like, what are you talking about? And then he called it again later in the game, but he kept calling it the Duke travel. Um, and I don't know that I ever confirmed Weird. why. Yeah, why he was calling that? I guess you know Duke transition threes back in the day he used to sure. take uh, guys uh, travel a lot. But anyways, that one was kind of weird to me. All right, well that was that was a really fun piece, uh, Oliver, and I'm glad we got to talk about that. Let's transition and talk uh, about your Briante Weber article, which I really enjoyed. Let's get your thoughts. Let's just start with getting your thoughts on Weber, really his path as a player uh, to this point and. Talk about, tell our listeners all this guy has really had to overcome uh, through his injury history. Yeah, so I know Briante pretty well. He's a good guy, like very down to earth. Um, Hardworking is like the first word that comes to mind when I think about it, just because of what he's had to overcome. And not only that, just how he's proved people wrong. I mean, look, he was one of the best college defensive players um, his, what was it, senior season, I believe. And about what midway through the season, he tears his ACL and is out for the rest of the year, doesn't end up getting drafted. And still, uh, I believe he led, I want to say, man, I want to say it was all defense, first team, second team, somewhere in there in college. And he was, I mean, look, he should have been drafted had he not been injured. But because of the injury, it moved him down even further, put him out of the draft boards, really. And Uh, Miami brings him in. He bounces around in Miami a little bit. They cut him, goes to Memphis, goes back to Miami, like tons of different places. I mean, really, this guy's been all over the map for the past two or three seasons. Finally gets like a real opportunity in the D League um, last year and starts to show some signs of like real improvement offensively, along with being just like the defensive stalwart that everybody knows him to be. And then from there, um, you know, you look at his explosion this past year in the D league and that's what golden state saw on him. They're like, man, this guy's averaging almost a quadruple double in a game, you know, getting triple doubles, uh, putting up big numbers uh, on the, in the D league, but still like working his butt off on both ends of the floor. And, you know, even Steph and some of the other guys around that golden state team spoke so highly of what Briante Weber meant to that team because he, uh, he instilled some hard work and ethic into that team. He just puts his head down, works dog mentality was one of the words that I got from a couple people on him. He, um, so now obviously he's with the Hornets. Uh, he's going to be there for another season, hopefully here. And really, uh, I think he has a really promising career ahead of him because of what he can do defensively. Yeah. I actually got to, um, spend some time coaching this guy, um, it, during his prep school year. So between high school and college, uh, it was at fork union military Academy, which is where I used to work, um, and coach before he went to VCU. This is a guy who is a, an extremely fierce competitor and is a little bit hard headed. I mean, he didn't make it a full year at fork union and that's not because, um, 
Uh, he, he, it's not because he chose to leave early. It's because it didn't end up working out. He did not see eye to eye with the coach, but I would say that hard headedness, uh, has played into his favor, especially since he became a professional, um, because he's never quit. And, and he had every reason. And like you just said, Oliver, and what I think your article did a really good job of pointing out, he had every reason to quit and give up on his dream. And he said, he's like, I knew I wasn't getting drafted. Uh, but he came up with that motto. Uh, I woke up every morning, new beginning. I think it was. Mm-hmm. That motivated him uh, to kind of keep moving and keep chasing his dream. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was a really fun piece. Oliver, do you see him making it in the NBA long term? Uh, I'd tell you no question at all. I think he's got probably like a 95% chance to stick, uh, whether it's in Charlotte or otherwise. I mean, every person that I spoke with just speaks highly of him. Like, just did, you know, just going to go to work every single day do the job to the best of his possible capabilities. I think he can be a very good, you know, potentially change of pace point guard, backup point guard, however you want to put it. I think 20 to 25 minutes a night is kind of like where I see his ceiling. I don't think he's going to be a superstar in this league, but I think the early comparisons you could make would be like a guy like Patrick Beverly. I mean, look, Patrick Beverly didn't really have much of an offensive game coming into the league. He had to work his butt off overseas and get himself in tune and in shape with the NBA. He had a rough kind of struggling uh, early career as well. And the reason he's been so successful is he's a a pest on defense and guys hate it. Guys opposing Patrick Beverly hate it. And I think that, you know, if Briante can get to that level on offense to not be so negatively affecting, I guess you could say, then I think that he would be a perfect role player for a team like Charlotte or, or otherwise, really. I, th- I think he's definitely going to make it in the league, though. Richie, I'm going to throw it to you for a second. Do you, uh, do you think Charlotte ends up giving this guy a long-term, t- a long-term contract, and do you think he's a good fit in a, in a Clifford system? I kind of go back and forth on this. I mean, I, what he bring last year, you, you definitely saw his, his intensity on the defensive end. Uh, you, you know what you're getting out of him. And if Oliver's correct and he turns into a Patrick Beverly, or at least a Patrick Beverly, Beverly light, that would be amazing for this team. I think that he, he's not the best, I guess, guy for our second unit, considering the fact that our second unit has been so inconsistent offensively and getting our points. He's not someone that is going to orchestrate you know, an offense. He's someone that gets a job done on hustle plays. He likes to play off ball a lot and cut to the basket and get those easy baskets that way. So he's still not a natural point guard. Uh, he definitely needs to play off ball a little bit more and work his way for easy shots off of cuts. So I think he just needs to be on a team with a you know with a defined role. I think that maybe he could make it here with a third point guard and maybe a filler backup. I guess I'm not as optimistic as Oliver, but Oliver knows this guy a little bit better in his mindset and in his background as well. But yeah, I, w- I was surprised to read about some of those injuries that he had and. And I didn't know that about him. I guess that's why his draft stock was pretty much nothing going into it. And I want to say, Oliver, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, didn't you say that he was almost the uh, the record holder in steals if it wasn't for the injury? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he was like I, I want to say it was like double digit numbers, like low double digits, like ten or fifteen steals away from being the all time steals NCAA steals leader, like literally. And he was injured for four months or three months out of the wow. the final season. So like he would have easily been the steel leader had he been able to play, but you know, injuries prevented that from happening. I mean, look, it, it, uh, yes. Am I optimistic about him? Sure. Um, I just think 
when you have a knack for defense like that, teams will always want someone that can bring that because there's just not many of them out there that thrive on defense. I mean, he talks about uh, to me multiple times, just like he grew up on street ball. He grew up on playing with mm-hmm. guys that were three or four years older than him, just being scrappy and hard headed and not giving him a break, you know, and that that's, I mean, that's a not common. <laughs> uh, you talk to a lot of players around this league and they'll say, you know, i grew up on AAU basketball. You know, my parents drove me here and we, <laughs> We, we played the whole nice game and everything else. Not to say that it's bad, but to grow up in kind of the old school mentality, you can tell the difference um, and the mentality difference and change uh, from a guy like Weber to, to another player per se. And um, I just think that, like I said, defense is a valuable, valuable asset. And I think it's very underrated. I mean, you look at what Houston's done this season. The reason they've been so good is, uh, Patrick Beverly. I mean, he locks down the best opposing player night in and night out. That's the reason Oklahoma city struggled against them. Um, that's the reason you're seeing some of the struggles with the San Antonio backcourt too. And I think, you know, obviously he's got to raise his game. He's probably a poor man's Patrick Beverly at best, but even having one of those guys who can change a dimension on your team, uh, would really help. And I think this team could be elite defensively, um, given some of the pieces that you guys have with a guy like Weber inserted and, and growing and improving. Yeah. That's what I like about him on this team uh, is the, the defensive profile that he has. I mean, he's perfect for, you know, Steve Clifford coach team. I mean, look from high school moving forward with Weber. I mean, he, I mean, he did, he made a perfect choice by going to VCU I mean, playing. And he mentioned this in the article too, playing for Shaka smart and Mike Rhodes, Mike Rhodes. Now the coach of VCU just took the job not long ago. I mean, you're talking about a program that likes to play defense 90 feet. You can see that those fingerprints all in Briante Weber's game, you know, so he learned to defend the basketball at a really high level for four years at, at VCU and not, not just the half court, but in the full court. So uh, that's what I like most about him is he does something extremely well at a high elite level. He guards the basketball, but I, you know, Richie, you're right. He has to stretch his game um, to be on the three point line, which like Oliver said, that Beverly has really learned to do and he's in the perfect system. And he's got to learn to play off the ball a little more, but I mean, when you, when you're talking about the Brian Roberts of the world and the Ramon sessions of the world, I'll take Briante Weber over those two guys any day of the year, uh, because he does one thing really, really good. And I actually think he's a little bit underrated offensively. He's good in the mid range and he's pretty good at getting to the rim and finishing. So I, I like his ceiling moving forward. If he stays healthy, um, you know, certainly think the sky could be the limit for Briante. And he, and I agree with you, Oliver, I, I think there's a very, very high rate, uh, high likelihood that he ends up making it long-term in the NBA. Um, so I really enjoyed that piece. All right, let's jump into the Hornets season, which was a big disappointment um, as they finished 10 games under 500. Oliver, I, I don't know what your expectation was. seems like the media kind of within the Charlotte area and in the Carolinas expected this to be a playoff team. I certainly did. It wasn't super high, but I thought they would fall in that six to eight range. The national media uh, kind of hit the nail on the head. It seemed to be, uh, they did not have high expectations. Where did you stand on the Hornets going into this season? Yeah, I was pretty high on them as well. Um, I had them around, I want to say they were the seventh seed, uh, maybe the sixth seed in my Eastern conference picks before the season started. So I was pretty high on them and I thought the Eastern conference would be better than they were all year. So that's saying a lot. Um, you know, I was thinking more like 45 close to, you know, a good man. They could have even gotten 50 wins potentially. That's how high I was on them 
coming into the season, just because I think the personnel that they have is very unique. Uh, you don't have many Nicholas Batums around in the league. You don't have many Kemba Walkers around in this league. Um, and I thought that their defense was showing signs of improvement in multiple areas. And I thought that was the key for this team to succeed was on defense, not necessarily on offense. You know, Nick Latum is going to struggle night in and night out. He's very inconsistent offensively. Kemba Walker, you can count on him getting his points, but really there weren't too many glaring options that you could say, oh yeah, we're going to definitely stick with this guy. And he's going to make, you know, 15 plus points a night and be consistent and efficient. So I, uh, I expected a lot from this team and unfortunately they just, uh, they didn't really get it together and, it, and obviously injuries had a factor in it. Um, but on top of that, I just think, you know, the team just didn't really seem to be gelling specifically on defense the way that I had assumed they'd be. So you look, you look at what the Hornets had, um, you know, a season ago, accordingly, Jeremy Lin, Al Jefferson, all, you know, certainly the, the headliner departures, out of those three guys, what was what was the most significant loss in your opinion? And would you would you attribute that loss to being the biggest reason the Hornets, like you said, just really couldn't gel this past season? Well, we all know Lynn had a really successful year last year, and I think that would be probably the point that I would make is that's probably the difference between uh, this team, just honestly confidence wise, knowing going in who their kind of like sixth man, you know, rotational kind of point guard would be. Um, and I think that's a crucial role in the NBA. Like people really, you know, you're going to talk about the stars. You need to have the big three or you need to have, you know, a couple guys that can score offensively or whatever, but look around the league, like the Boston Celtics won 50 plus games this year and they have Isaiah Thomas. I mean, that's pretty much their only real true offensive weapon. Obviously they have other pieces. They got guys who can hit from outside, go inside. But I think, teams are getting more and more accepting of the idea of just having a lot of really good role guys and going into that warriors kind of mentality of we'll pick up a Draymond green and have him kind of run through the system. We'll rotate him out. We'll throw in a Sean Livingston, you know, having all those rotational guys, like knowing where they're supposed to be, how they're supposed to be playing and feeling confident and comfortable in their role is one of the most underrated aspects of the league. I think right now. And I think, when you look at this Hornets team, I think that was the major key, or I guess you could point to Jeremy Lin specifically, but I think just losing role players like that of that magnitude and not being able to really replace them with guys who could come in and say, yes, I'm going to take over that role. I'm going to be that guy. They just didn't look comfortable. Like I said, I mean, like a lot of the season, it was just so inconsistent um, on both ends of the floor. And I think you have to attribute that to being comfortable. And that, that partly rests on the coach. Yeah. I think you're right. One thing Richie and I have really talked about a lot is, um, and I think a lot of people have started to recognize this as they kind of reflect on the season is not only Jeremy Lynn had a great, great season running the second unit offensively, but you know, Jeremy Lynn's an underrated defender, um, especially on the basketball and, you know, Courtney Lee, there's, there's a, a wing defender that can make a big difference. I mean, you saw that in spots when he had to guard Dwayne Wade, um, in the first round series last year, I mean, Wade certainly had a good series, but, um, he had some games that weren't great. And when Lee hit that winning shot, you know, in game five in Miami, you saw Wade really, or when, when Lee hit the winning shot, you saw Wade struggle during that game because of Courtney Lee. I just thought the defensive acumen that the, that the Hornets had last season from Lynn to Lee, uh, Jefferson, uh, maybe, maybe not, <laughs> but that, that really made the biggest difference. And, and that's one of the things that, I don't think maybe the national media understands as much about Charlotte is 
you know, and again, Richie and I say this a lot, Charlotte being successful in the defense, in the defensive end kind of leads to them being better on the offensive end, which is not the mean. Usually it's almost the opposite. If you're making shots, you get some momentum in the offensive end, your swagger gets up a little bit, you guard harder. Um, I would say that's how it usually goes. Steve, Steve Clifford coach teams. I, I, I don't recognize that, that, that offense leads to defense. I, I recognize a lot of defense leads to offense and they just could not get their defense right. It didn't matter what the lineup was this season. And then when Zeller went out for the 13 game stretch, to me, that's when the team really folded because they, they tried to reinvent themselves, you know, and then it, it, during that process, they couldn't find the answer. And when Zeller came back, really, it was too late. The Hornets slide had, had really lasted too long and they have dug themselves too much of a hole. So staying on that, Oliver, I want to get, get your opinion on Cody Zeller as a player. I mean, the on off numbers, the net rating numbers are off the charts for Cody Zeller. He has the highest net rating of any guy on this team. Is he that important to what the Hornets want to do as a team on both ends? And what is your, what is his value in the league in your opinion? He is just that valuable. I mean, the stats do it justice. What you see on the court, I think does it justice. I think What's so impressive to me about Zeller specifically is his ability to share the basketball while also being an offensive threat. And let's, let's be honest. The other thing that I think that I kind of mentioned earlier is just having a guy that has a certified role, knows exactly what he needs to do night in and night out. And he does it well. I mean, he does every bit. Well, I mean, look, he's averaging, you know, steal a block a game, barely turns the ball over as a big man who stretches the floor or tries to stretch the floor. Obviously he had that injury, so it slowed him down. But I just think that he will continue to improve his, his efficiency is off the charts. Uh, and I think his post moves will continue to improve. I just think that there's not enough seven foot guys like that who are that versatile, who you can basically throw into either lineup and say, yeah, just take the ball one out of every two times and, you know, jam it down the other team's throat because that's pretty much, I mean, he was very aggressive this year. I think he did a lot of things well, and I think this team definitely values him highly. Around the league, I think a lot of teams would be interested in taking a Cody Zeller off your hands. I mean, look, he's uh, he's shown that he's valuable for this team, but I think that he's shown that he can be a contributor wherever he goes, and teams are always salivating for guys that can come off the bench, roll 25 minutes of really hard, good nosed effort, great efficiency. And I think that that is Tyler's or uh, sorry, Cody, and is that Cody. Cody Zeller in yeah. a nutshell? Sorry. <laughs> Which Zeller? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. I get, I get confused with the brothers, man, but uh, no. Yeah. I, I think he has a lot of value though, uh, wherever he goes. I mean, that this could be contract wise. Whew. I mean, I, I would not be surprised. You saw Mozgov get all that money. I mean, he's worth way more than that. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, it, yeah, part of it is our centers is the price tag for a center this summer through a trade or, you know, through a free agency. Is it going to be the same as it was last summer? And last summer was just stupid. How much, I mean, Biombo got paid and then how much like you, you just brought up the Mozgov contract, which is just putrid. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I think Zeller's much more. Uh, valuable than some of those guys All right, defensively so though defensively sorry to interrupt defensively though still think he needs to improve still think that's an area of opportunity for him See, I, think I don't big, think the team 
Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, I think the biggest room for improvement is his mid-range shot because he's so he's so effective in the pick-and-roll game. I feel like these teams are yep. going to start defending him a little bit differently, sag off him a little bit so he doesn't pick up that head of steam going towards the rim and force him to take that mid-range shot. He has just never developed that mid-range shot. But, yeah, I would agree. I think defensively he's not this rim protector that you're going to throw on the back end of the defense to erase shots. But I, I think he's serviceable on that end. No doubt, no doubt. He's definitely serviceable, not 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 trying to critique one area of his game over another. But, yeah, like I said, I think that that would be the only thing I would say is uh, I think as a team defensively, they just I, I would assume they would be better than they are, I guess, when Zeller's on the floor. Yeah, while we're on this topic, too, I mean, I, I think you're right, Oliver. I mean, I think he does have areas of his game defensively that must improve offensively you know one of the things that makes him so valuable is he's a great screener he's he's a good roller you know Zeller and Kemba have a great rapport together they play well together I would like to see him develop a little bit more skill when he catches the ball in that role a little better footwork you see him when he doesn't have the extra pass to the corner or he really doesn't have one step and getting right to the rim into his finish um, he doesn't have he can't get into his pivot foot and use solid footwork to get to the opposite side or get over the opposite shoulder. When the help defense comes, I really would like to see him add one or two more seconds to his game uh, as a creator on the, on that role after, after the catch. And that's something that I've not really seen him struggle at. If there's nothing's there, he just throws it back out. He, like you said, he's not going to turn it over, but I would like to see him become a better finisher there and be a little bit more patient. Um, but that's just, from watching so much Cody Zeller in the pick and roll. Um, all right. So this is a good transition because the reason I ask you about Zeller and about his value is because there's a lot of chatter right now, about what the Hornets are going to do this offseason. Okay. Rich show just got added on for one more year. The team picks up his option. So it feels like this is a pressure season coming for him before we let you go, Oliver. I just want to get your opinion on what do you think the Hornets need to do this summer? Is it, is it as simple as use the mid-level exception, which they have, the biannual exception, which they have, to fill out the roster, use your somewhere in the 10, 11, 12 range in the draft, and then just get a first down by taking baby steps? Or do you unload some of these contracts and uh, you know try to help your loaded cap situation right now and look at a different path? I... I tend to think that you can keep this roster together and still make it into something. I mean, look, uh, Michael Kilchrist, I I don't know what his deal was this season, but he just didn't look anywhere near as serviceable or as good as I expected him to be. I know that he's coming off the injuries and he's got the injury bug and everything else, but um, I think if you can have a MKG of a couple of years ago, you know, you can really probably make this team into something without having to do too much or tamper with crazy amounts of movement from player personnel standpoint. I think if you look at the the league right now, I think the best thing you can do is try and keep continuity. As many people want to say the LA Clippers need to blow up their situation. I'm the complete opposite of that. I just don't, I don't understand why you, you just don't find three superstars who are top 30 players that uh, come around every once in a while. I mean, it, it, it's just very rare. You don't see that. So keeping your guys together, I think, is the best solution for this team specifically because you've seen it work, and it's worked at times. But it needs to work as a whole solution from start to finish during a season. 
only way to do that is to really, I don't think they need to reinvigorate anything, but they definitely need, like I said, assigned roles. Each player needs to know what they are doing night in and night out. And I don't think you got a sense of that because of some of the injuries, obviously, but I think a full off season with healthy guys, get them back into the lineup. I don't think they need to do much. I think the mid-level exception is great. You can go out and get a serviceable player. Um, I actually, you know, looking at kind of their big situation aside from Zeller, I mean, there's not too much hope with like the pick and roll and being able to find somebody who can really be a serviceable, serviceable player. And in, in that sort of aspect, I mean, I, I would look at like a guy like Andrew Bogut, if he's going to come back and try and play again, I know they've got the injury bug. Um, but I love players that can run the pick and roll as efficiently as a guy like Bogut can and play good hard nosed defense. I think that would be an awesome pickup if he could try and make it happen. He may be ring chasing, who knows, but I think that would be cool. And then if you have a draft pick, like you said, you know, late teens, uh, or sorry, not late teens, but uh, like early, early double digits there, 10, 11, 12, whatever it is, um, you can pick up a really good player and bring him along throughout the season and have him be a hardcore contributor at 20 minutes a night, depending on who you get. And I think uh, even in the second round of this draft, uh, I think there is players that could definitely bring something to this team immediately. I mean, I look, uh, he's kind of my, my guy, but uh, I've got a little bias in this, but uh, you know, a guy like Dylan Brooks, you, you bring him into the system and you have him be that stretch for, for five, six minutes uh, in a couple quarters a night. And he could be a difference maker for this team. If he can hit from outside and just try and make, adjustments uh, to this team to where they can be a little bit more versatile when they're playing bigger teams. If you're playing like the Hawks, you want to try and run and gun a little bit more. You've just got to be a little bit more versatile with the team that you have. And I think you've got the right pieces. Just keep it together. Keep the continuity there and assign roles to each of these guys. I tend to agree with you. They're going to have to keep, I just, I just don't really see a way out of this roster right now because of the cap situation, but, uh, and you make a really good point about the second round pick that the Hornets have. It's going to be four number 41, I think. And they're going to have to do exactly what you just said. They're going to have to try to get a guy who can come in and play, um, you know, right away on a non-guaranteed contract because they got $102 million uh, tied up in nine guys right now. So that second round pick might have to be how they fill out their roster unless they're bringing somebody up from the D league. So, um, well, Oliver, we really, I know you got to run. We really appreciate you coming on again. Enjoyed your two articles that we talked about a lot. Keep up the good work, um, you know, over for dime magazine. And uh, again, thanks for coming on. Let folks know again where they can find your work online and where they can follow you on Twitter. Yeah, they can find my work online, uh, uprocks.com slash dime or just uprocks.com, and you'll see some of my work just on the front page. Um, and then as far as Twitter goes, at NBA is where you can find me. Appreciate you guys having me on, and uh, thanks for chatting. We appreciate it, man. All right, awesome. So that was Oliver Maroney. Uh, make sure you go check out um, the two articles that we talked about, the pickup basketball rules. And then also his piece about Briante Weber, both really, really good reads. And then make sure you give him a follow on Twitter. If you're not already already really good stuff coming from him. And I'm Richie. I'm glad we could have him on. That was some really good insight. Yeah, of course. And, it, and there's a whole lot of other questions we wanted to ask him that we couldn't get to because of timing issues. But uh, yeah, he, he brought a different aspect to this because I feel like sometimes we're a little bit biased 
we see things because we are Hornets fans. It's sometimes good to get an outsider's perspective on the team. You know, and sometimes maybe we're too harsh on the team, and he, and he kind of gives a, a positive light. And he was talking about that, how maybe maybe we shouldn't blow this team up. Just keep keep the continuity, keep this team together. Maybe little steps here and there could, you know, be tweaked and kind of pray that, uh, you know, injuries don't hit us and we can be back in the playoffs. I don't see why, I don't see any reason why we couldn't, especially considering the fact that I think we had, I think we were the only team with a positive point differential, net different differential, and we were the only ones not to make the playoffs in that sense. And I think we talked yeah. about that uh, several shows ago. But yeah, we're we're right there. We're on the cusp. So I think sometimes we get a little over optimistic or over pessimistic. But sometimes it's good to hear someone that kind of has an even keel uh, type of mindset. Couldn't agree with you more. You know, during the season it was very frustrating because again we did have high expectations for this team. To, to at least stay where they were last season, if not take a slight step forward. I think reflecting on it, I don't know really why I ever thought that, um, especially with all the guys they lost last off season. But, uh, but no, I, I, I agree with you. Let's have a little bit of fun. So what Richie, we got about 10 minutes, don't we? Yeah. And we have some Twitter questions. If we want to address that, or if you want to go a different route, just let me know. Yeah. So I, I want to have a little fun. Let's see if we can get to the Twitter questions at the end. I wanted to just like get off Hornets, um, oh gosh. just for a minute, not, well, I mean, look, we, we've talked about a lot. It's that point in the year and you and I have talked about this where you're just kind of exhausting things. So the NBA playoffs is going on. I know you've been tuned in. I've seen some of your tweets well, and in the first round, the second round. I have not, I've just been so busy this week, but yes, I have been tuned in in the first round. All right. So let me ask you this. So <clears throat> you've watched the playoffs. What's the one thing about a player or a team or whatever that's jumped off the page to you that maybe surprised you and you weren't expecting? Well, we talked about this last time. I think I think the play of Utah, and obviously they're down 0-2, uh, but the play of Utah in the first round, I really enjoyed watching both the Joes play. Joe Johnson, I don't know how old that guy is, but he still plays like he's uh, in his prime of his career. Uh, he hit that game winner in game one. And Joe Ingles, you know, we talked about them last time, just his, his versatility on offense, and how he's a bigger, basically a bigger playmaker, can play with the ball in his hands. I've been really impressed by him as well on the defense, defensive end. So if, if I had to stick to one team, one player, uh, it would be Joe Ingles. And I was you know, pleasantly surprised by his play, and I didn't know that he had that in him. And you know, I must admit, I don't watch a lot of Utah basketball, but when it came playoff time, for some reason, they were my, my, my pet team. I don't know. I just, I just loved watching them play. And uh, those two players, both Joes, definitely uh, impressed me. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with you. Utah has been my favorite or in the first round. They were my favorite team to watch. I still think they have a chance of getting a game in the series, maybe even two. Uh, probably not, but 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 maybe, I think they can get one. I mean, George Hill not being in the lineup last night definitely hurt them. Um, they can't compete with him at, without him out there. So it'll be interesting. I know he's questionable for game three in Utah. It will be interesting to see if he can go. Um, you know, I would, I would just like to see Golden State pushed one game. I mean, I guess they had that big comeback against Portland in Game Three, but I would like him. I would like to see him taken down to the wire. And here's why: because I want to know what Golden State is going to do to execute late in games here in the postseason. I mean, I think we know what to expect. Kevin Durant will get the ball, and they're going to play through him. But we also know what there's been some some past animosity between him and, and the rest of the team, especially him and Draymond Green, when that's been the case at the end of games. And and let's face it, when they face Cleveland in the finals, there's going to be some close games. And where does Golden State go late for a bucket? Do they continue to share the ball, make 
teams, you know, he, you know, defenses head spins by trying to navigate all these off ball screens, or do they just give it to Durant, let him go uh, when he draws a second defender? It's his decision. It'd be really interesting to me. And I don't think enough people are talking about that. And it's because Golden State just has not been pushed uh, and tested late in the game yet. All right. I, I want your thought on this. I'm going to throw you a situation and I want you to just put on your GM hat for 60 seconds and tell me what you would do without, you know, looking at their salary cap and all this stuff. You know, Kyle Lowry is a free agent. Okay. If the Toronto Raptors get swept four to nothing, what in the world do you do up North? I, I, I could see them not bringing him back. I, I think that's a, a true possibility. And I know that a lot of the blame is on Casey. A lot of people blame, you know, a lot of people up there up North, I think that maybe he be he might be asking too much, and Toronto sees that maybe this is not the point guard of the future. I mean, he's a great point guard. I mean, he he plays on both ends of the ball. It just seems like come playoff time, he doesn't show up. And I think that's kind of how you truly evaluate players. If they can bring it in the in the regular season, fine. Uh, but they also got to bring it in the postseason. So if they get swept, which it's looking likely, uh, I think that's going to be the case. Five games max. But, uh, yeah, I think that if I was the GM of the Raptors, I would look elsewhere. I mean, I think that maybe Oliver would say something different, you know, keep that team together and and keep Lowry on there. Good player, but I think in the playoff time, he doesn't always show up. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think Toronto, I I don't know. I mean, they're kind of stuck, but at the same time, kind of not. I mean, Ibaka, I, I think you can get off his deal if you want to. You know, P.J. Tucker's actually a free agent this summer. They really just... He's just a rental. Kyle Lowry is obviously a free agent. He can he can go elsewhere. I mean, there is a, there is a slight route for them to hit the reset button there. And I I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, if they get swept, I, I just they look. You can't if you're the GM. If you're and I can't say his name either, but Masai. If you're that guy, you can't look at yourself in the mirror and say, Hey, I didn't try. Like, I love what they did at the deadline and going and getting Ibaka, right? Like, they they put the pieces on that team to compete with the Cleveland, at least give themselves the versatility defensively and offensively to adjust to a team like Cleveland that can do some different things. They Toronto can go big when they have to. They can go small, all right? But, you know, if you've, if you've run this thing back, you know, three times now and you added a piece like Ibaka – and that's all that yields you is a sweep to Cleveland and a Cleveland team that we thought this is the worst one we'd seen in three years. I think it's time to to press the reset button. Yeah. And there is a way for them to do that slightly. All right, let me think here. Let me think. Oh, how could we not talk about Washington, Boston? Man, that's the games haven't been. Well, game two was awesome. Last night was just a complete dud. But feels like I was watching a game straight out of the early 90s again. Oh, I see, I didn't watch it. Didn't watch. It. I'm telling you, I, I my second round viewing has been slacking a little bit. I watched the f- game one of that series, uh, but that happens to be it. When Washington had that big lead and, and they blew it, I thought I thought for sure uh, Washington was going to you know take game one, uh, have momentum, uh, maybe even win three out of four in the first uh, four games. But there's something to be said about gaining a lead early in the game. I think that sometimes yeah. you get a little bit complacent. Um, and you don't compete as hard. You, you kind of stroll through the game, and then by quarter three, you look up at the scoreboard, and, it, and it's a close game. But, yeah, this, this series is very intriguing to me, even though, like you said, the, the games haven't been um, close in terms of uh, competitiveness. But I, I think this series could go the distance. I think that Washington probably should even the series up here, and uh, we'll kind of see where it goes from there. But I, I picked Washington to beat 
uh, the Celtics in the conference semifinals, you had the opposite. And that was really the only difference that we had in our NBA brackets. Not that anyone really fills out brackets on the NBA side. I, I just thought that Wall was playing amazing uh, heading into the playoffs. And obviously we've seen what he's done here in the playoffs so far. And they have someone like Beal. Actually, Beal, Beal to me is probably one of had the best seasons post you know January. He's been amazing for that team. And just to have two guys like that that you can rely on, and I'll ever mention this, you know, Boston only has, I should say only has, they have, you know, Isaiah, Isaiah Thomas to get them points, but outside of that, it's, you know, the points are hard to come by. It's, it's a team effort, you know, they shoot a lot of threes, but I just felt like Washington, they could rely on multiple people. I know that the depth is not the greatest, but if when you have Beal and Wall, that's kind of why I chose them to, to upset uh, Boston in the semifinals, so or conference semifinals. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that Washington is their starting five is I don't want to say better, um, but it's but it's more versatile in in a lot of ways on both ends. I would say so. I think they survive better for the first three and a half quarters, you know, other than a Boston team that has an Isaiah Thomas that is a great finisher, but uh, but it, it's hard to hide him defensively. The difference in this series, you know, until last night, the first two games were pretty competitive and, and both had clutch minutes there and late in the fourth quarter. Um, Boston just can finish. If they can get Washington to, to the end of a game and it's close, John Wall just, he's still not that guy that's going to close a game for you. And I know he's gotten better there. He's become a better shooter you know, he makes better decisions, become better in the pick and roll is his mid range game is, is, is good, but he just doesn't have that killer mentality late in games yet that Isaiah Thomas has. And Boston can just simply spread the floor five out, put, you know, Horford into a pick and roll or pick on the weakest defender in a ball screen and let Thomas go to work. Washington just doesn't have an answer uh, in those clutch situations offensively. And, you know, Brian Geisinger and I were actually texting yesterday and uh, Beal's got to give them more. And, and Brian texted me this, and I think he's dead on. Beal's got to give them more than just coming off pin downs and playing out of floppy action. I mean, he, he's got to do something with the basketball. That's the part of his game that has got to get better. Uh, in the offseason, he's got to learn to play out of the ball screen, get, get Wall off the ball a little bit more, uh, and give him a rest because Wall just wears down at the end of games from, from having to do everything um, draw the assignment of Isaiah Thomas in the series and then do everything offensively late in games. I, I just, I like Boston in this series when it's all said and done because they can execute in close games offensively way better than Washington can. I don't see that changing, but yeah, I agree with you. I think it could go the distance and I hope it does. Um, all right, well, we've got to wrap folks. Thanks again for listening in. And I hope you enjoyed this show. I, I was really happy we could get Oliver Maroney on with us and uh, we'll try to get him back on in the future. He's got some really good stuff out there and a good perspective on the league uh, as a whole. So don't forget that we are a member of the almighty baller radio network. <clears throat> and uh, please make sure that you are visiting queencityhoops.com for all of your Hornets coverage. Uh, again, we've talked about this a lot, but we are getting ready to really vamp up our draft coverage. Richie and I are going to be doing some fun kind of one prospect versus another uh, kind of draft pieces here coming up soon. And again, as I mentioned before, we've already got our draft profiles page up on the site and, and four prospects that you can read about uh, already. So please make sure you're checking that out. Richie, am I missing anything here before we let everyone go? 
No, I think we've covered it all. Again, continue to listen to us here on Dash. And if you want to download the uh, the downloadable version of this show, just go to iTunes and Stitcher and search BuzzBeat, and you can find us there. And again, thanks for the continued support. Continue to leave us feedback, ratings, reviews, because we want to continue this thing, and we want to continue to get better at this as well. We appreciate the continued support so far, but always give us feedback. So thank you, guys. All right, everyone, we have some Twitter questions that we want to get to. Now that we're recording on Dash, just to let you guys know that we just we have an hour hour to broadcast our, our episodes on and with our guest today, Oliver Maroney from Die Magazine. And, and we wanted to spend as much time as we could with him. So that took about, you know, 45 minutes, 50 minutes of, of his time. And, and we're really thankful that he came on. And so we never got around to the Twitter questions. And I know that Spencer had to hop off here. So I do want to address these. Uh, we wanted to thank everyone for you know the continued support, and uh, we like to get you guys involved uh, because you guys, like us, were, were fans of the team. There were a couple of Twitter questions that I do want to address. The first, I guess the first three are coming from at Mr. Front Page on Twitter. Uh, his first Twitter question is this, is Zeller near off limits? And I believe he means this in terms of trades. And he went on to say that he does believe so. He believes that Zeller is off limits. I will say this. I think what he brought to this team, you know, him and Kimba were pretty much a, a dynamic duo on the offense. They fed off of each other. I do love Zeller a lot. He is my second favorite player on this team. I've said this multiple times. Uh, but if we can get a center, whether that's through a trade or through the draft that has more versatility and it still is an above average defender, even if it means that he's a rookie, I think that replacing him wouldn't be that difficult. Uh, just not sure what his value is uh, out there when it comes to trading him because I think that he's such a niche type of player. He's got to be in a system that that works the pick and rolls a lot. And he was very effective. And I think that his, his worth on this team was truly shown when he did go down. So getting something in return for him... I wouldn't say it'd be a struggle, but I guess it just depends on who you're who you're working with. What what's your trade partner there? So is he off limits? I would say no. I, I do really love him for this team. I guess it would just depend on who we were targeting and, and who would we replace him with when it comes to you know a trade or, or through the draft. Next question comes from again, Mr. Front Page on Twitter. Should we package a player to move up in the draft? My stance has always been to move down. So if we do move up, we would obviously need to be trading someone of value. And who would that be? MKG? Are we willing to part ways with MKG to move up? And who would we be targeting in that case? Like, uh, I mean, are we trying to replace MKG with, with Isaac, Jonathan Isaac out of FSU? Or are we trying to get up even higher? And if we try to get up, get up even higher, it might take more than just MKG in our 11th to get up into the, I don't know, top five. So I know that MKG still has value around the league, and I still like him. I know that a lot of people were down on him this year. Uh, but what he brings to this team when, on the defensive end, rebounding, uh, scrap, you know, the scrappy plays, you know, can't re be replaced or can't be easily taught. If we do package a player to move up in the draft, it would have to be someone like an MKG. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head, like who else could we package with our 11th pick to go up and get someone? I don't think they would budge on a Jeremy Lamb. I don't think they would really budge on, on a Frank Kaminsky. And if we do package MKG, who moves into that starting role? Unless you're targeting someone like a Jonathan Isaac for that three position. I get it. I think that that's definitely an option. And um, 
it def- we could definitely go that route. But considering the fact that we haven't drafted well and we package MKG and our 11th pick, move up to the 5 or 6 spot, and then we end up drafting a dud, uh, that would set us back a couple of years. And then the last question from at Mr. Front Page on Twitter is Frank's value higher than we think? I think maybe Spencer would answer this a little bit differently than I would. I think possibly. I think possibly his value is a little bit higher than than what we may think. Uh, but if he puts it all together, he offers something that many teams would covet. He's a stretch four, a stretch five, whatever you want to call him, that can pass the ball. We saw that plenty of times. When it comes off closeouts, he he beats the man off the dribble. He's not the quickest, per se, but he can get by him, and then it draws the attentions of the other help defenders, and he is very good when it comes to passing that that ball. Our assist percentage, our assist rate went up when he was on the court. So, yes, he's someone that, if he puts it all together, the value is out there. But coming off this season, which I actually thought was worse than his rookie season, he didn't progress shooting the ball uh, from the three-point line. He had a stretch, I would say, uh, in the new year that uh, lasted about a month, which was good when he was in the starting role. But he's just never been consistent. And obviously, he's never going to be something on the defensive end. And that's not where his value is going to come from. But I I would say yes. I think Frank's value is higher than we possibly think out there. I don't think other teams view him maybe as a Hornets fan would. All right, these last two questions will be brief just because I'm not in tuned uh, to what these questions are asking. Uh, I'm probably not the best person to be giving my take on this, but I will give a brief take in terms of how I feel about these questions. The first question comes from at D train for life. He actually was our winner in our t-shirt giveaway. uh, So shout outs to him. His question states, do you think anyone on the 1617 Greensboro swarm roster has a legit shot at making an impact with the Hornets in this upcoming 17-18 season. He goes on to list Barber, Ellis, etc. First, I'm going to say, just to be brief, I haven't watched Greensboro Swarm play basketball, so I really can't speak on these players. I do feel like if that was the case, if they were going to be making an impact in 17-18, we would probably be hearing more about them by now. But again, I haven't watched Greensboro Swarm and probably never will. So it's hard for me to give my full take on this. But that's that's my my take as it is. You know, I know that there are players out there that transition from the D-League to the NBA. I mean, we have Briante Weber, who was Oliver was talking about, was basically a triple-double at the D-League level. Uh, but I'm not really hearing about that on, on the Greensboro Swarm roster. So... To answer the question, I would say no. I don't think there's anyone on that roster that can make an impact on the 17-18 roster. We would be hearing about them by now. All right, the last question comes from at Patrick Connor 7 Do you think Chris Paul and Blake Griffin are back with the Clippers next season? Oliver touched upon this earlier in the show, talking about you know keeping teams together for continuity, keeping the Hornets together. A lot of teams are trying to blow up the Clippers uh, and they think that you know it might be best to part ways with Blake Griffin, not attempt to re-sign him. It might be best to part ways with Chris Paul uh, if he does turn down, uh, if he does become a free agent. But I will say this: if I'm going to make a, if I'm not going to make a prediction based on you know nothing but my intuition, I will say that the Clippers will sign CP3 and he will sign to that mega max deal 
of $200 million over that five-year span. I think that money is just too hard to pass up. Out of the two players, I think Blake Griffin might be the most likely to end up on a different team next season. He is a free agent, so maybe he signs elsewhere. Maybe Clippers don't make an attempt to bring him back. Or maybe Clippers try to attempt to do a sign-in trade with him. I know that there's rumors with Blake Griffin coming to Charlotte. I don't see that happening. I don't think that we have the pieces to trade for Blake Griffin. And if we do, uh, if we trade away too many pieces, in the end, it's not gonna it's not gonna make a difference. We're gonna be swapping out too much of our core to get Blake Griffin, and it's not gonna be a clean switch. We're not gonna feel the impact that he would have if you were just to insert him on our team currently because of the pieces that we have right now. So if we did do a sign and trade for Blake Griffin, which is the only way that we can get him, he's not accepting an MLE, I can tell you that much. It's it's going to be way too much that we give up. So to answer the question, Patrick Connor 7, I think that if I had to make a guess, again, this is just purely a guess, I say CP is with the Clippers, Griffin is not. All right, guys, thank you for your questions. Uh, we do appreciate your involvement with the show. And if you have any questions or comments or concerns, uh, send them our way. Uh, You don't really need to wait for a tweet for us to ask for questions. You can ask us at any time, whether that's Spencer or myself, or just tweet us at the BuzzBeat Radio Twitter handle. And we'll make sure that we try to address them either through our show or uh, on Twitter. So again, guys, thank you for all the support. And uh, we appreciate it very much. Awesome. Well, thanks again, guys, for listening. We will be back next week with another great show. I think we're really going to be diving on some draft next week, so get ready. But uh, we're two weeks away from the lottery, which could be an exciting night for the Hornets. You never know, right? All right. Well, until next week, we'll see you then. Thanks, folks. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.